For those of us that are remaining in here, we are still in Ephesians. <laughs> Yay! Love Ephesians. We're in chapter 6, though. So we are almost finished with this fantastic book. Uh, we have journeyed over the last, I don't know how many months, through this uh, phenomenal picture of what it is to be the church. What it is to have all of the spiritual blessings of Christ poured out upon us. What it is to have the riches of God fill our lives. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of His love. But now we have entered into the part of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul is saying, okay, all of these things being true, the gospel being the working force in your life, what now, how then, Christian, should you live? knowing the gospel and that Jesus is at work within you and His salvation is what has brought you into relationship with God. And so what we're supposed to do is to put on the armor. Let's read about it. We're going to read verses 13 through 16 this morning of Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This morning, we're going to look at the next two pieces of the armor of God we've been provided. Last week, we looked at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Today, we're going to look at the shoes, the readiness of the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace, and then we're going to conclude with the shield of faith. But first, I want to mention that I think our culture is a little bit obsessed with horror nowadays. Have you noticed this? Are you in the same boat as me? Whenever I pop open Netflix, which I rarely do, of course, (laughs) the thing that always comes up first for me is Stranger Things. You guys gotten into Stranger Things yet? I've dabbled. I've watched season one and I'm just starting season three because I got bored with season two. But I've heard season three is is a return to glory. For Stranger Things. Uh, it's basically a show that sparks nostalgia. I think that's one reason that it's very popular. It has this 80s vibe. It, it's supposed to remind me and y'all of Steven Spielberg and his glory days. Do you remember them? E.T. Uh, back, back in the you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, these, these kind of sci-fi, but these incredible pictures of, you know, the 80s vibe going on. So they've captured that with um, the Stranger Things movie uh, show. They've also got fairly good actors. I don't know how many you've seen, but they're quite serviceable. Um, they're, you know, it's not big names, but I've enjoyed meeting some of the characters on the, on the show. So, thumbs up for that. But, I believe, and I'm going to make my case this morning, that the true appeal of the horror genre that's 
on the rise right now, and of Stranger Things in particular, is the theme. The theme of Stranger Things is there is this impending, this lurking, this growing darkness. And it has the power and the ability to take us out. That's the theme of the show. Sorry, spoiler alert. The show is about people trying to push back the darkness. And in their goal, their, in their journey of pushing back this darkness, they encounter incredible resistance. They often are taken out. And there are a lot of people die. So again, spoiler alert. It's not safe for kids. Just so you know. Okay, kiddos? But I think one of the reasons that we as a culture are attracted to that right now is that we are not finding evil talked about very robustly and very clearly in the different areas of influence in our world. I think Charlottesville fits totally into this. Let me explain. Let's talk about education for just a minute, or the educational system, or the classroom. Right? I don't know about y'all where your kids go to school. Actually, I do know where all of your kids go to school. <laughs> but mine go to Charlottesville City Public Schools. And one of the things that's been disheartening about that, there are a lot of great things about the city schools, y'all. There are. But one of the things that's disheartening is there is, strangely, this denial about darkness in the heart of a human being. And so the way that they um, correct or punish is they assume all kids are starting from the point of being good. That down deep, they were born in goodness and they're just good kids. And if you provide the right environment for them, the goodness will shine. That is the working philosophy. So basically, the kids who cause the most ruckus, who are getting in the most trouble, and who are the ones that are disrupting the classroom the most, are simply not punished. There is no punishment. They are, they're shuffled around to different classes. They're moved and they walk around with the PE teacher and hold their hand during the day. And it has, I'll admit, because of the philosophy, it's been a little bit frustrating to me. Because there's this acknowledgement that where's, the, where's the, the corrective nature of the fact that kids are born with a little bit of, you know, tendency to lie and to sin as we understand it from the Bible. So there's that. And then, of course, just down the street, we have the university, which, wow, great university, world-renowned. But, you know, as I'm sure Jacob and Shai, who just graduated, congratulations, they can testify that being taught in those classrooms is this idea that, you know, that there's just molecules that make up the world around us. There's atoms that make up our bodies, and there's no real rhyme or reason. It's just something that sort of popped up from the ooze. And so where does evil reside? Well, there's, you know, maybe power is where it comes from, or evil exists if you get money or something like that. Corporations become evil eventually. But there's no real true explanation of what is this darkness that we all feel. And it's not just a darkness that we feel in the world around us or from the movies that we watch. It's a darkness that is with us all the time. That was Paul's point here in Ephesians chapter 6. This darkness, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this present darkness. And what he's trying, when he uses the word wrestle, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he's meaning it's so intimate with you, it is like a wrestling match. It's got you. It's already in your heart. 
It's already in your family. It's already in your workplace. It's already there. And it's not located in one person. It's not flesh and blood. It's not located in one institution. We can't just look at and blame the one big thing that we see in front of us. We can't say, oh, it's that corporation, or it's that government piece of our government, or it's that particular person who lives down my street. No, that's not what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians 6. He says, evil is all around you, and it is a power. It is a force. It is a darkness. The darkness is all around us. And it, Okay, one last thing. I think also in our culture, from the political pulpit, we'll just call it that. I'm not going to get on sides here, don't worry. But there is a, a frustration I have, and some of you may feel the same way, that evil, real evils in our society and in our culture, instead of being attacked head-on by our politicians, by our government, there is a sense, you may be with me on this, that our politicians and our government use that evil for political gain. I think it's where a lot of our frustration and our, our anger about what our government is or is not doing comes from. It's, yes, there will be an acknowledgement of evil from the political pulpit, but it's not as though it's going to be attacked head on. It's just going to be used. It's going to be talked about. It's going to become a soundbite to move someone a little bit up in the polls. And again, there's a frustration that comes along with that. But thankfully, this morning, it's different. Thankfully, this morning, Paul, the Bible, God, is acknowledging there's a real evil in this world. For some reason, God has not chosen to completely restrain it. It's still at work in our world and in our lives. But, but, but... We have been given the resources with which to attack the evil. And not just attack it so that we don't get completely beat up, but attack it in a way that brings life and joy and happiness and peace into our life. It's called the armor of God. We can have it. Paul says, every resource that you need as a Christian to push back the darkness, to see the darkness defeated in your own life, has already been given to you. It's already yours. It's just a matter of you putting it on. Let's put it on. Let's put it on. Last week we talked about the fact that we can put on the belt of truth, and what that meant was letting the truth of God's word get all the way down into our inner parts. That's what Paul's talking about. This belt that the Roman soldiers wore was the inside belt underneath all of the rest of their armor. Paul's trying to get at the point that you can't just have the Bible as some fact in your head. It cannot just be God is some abstraction in your mind. It has got to work its way into your very heart, to your emotions, to your will, to your very being. That's the belt of truth. Then he said you've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness And this is the idea that the righteousness of Christ becomes yours and so that you can have a right concept of who you are. You don't have to view yourself as being totally amazing and blame-shifting on everyone else and becoming an arrogant jerk. You don't have to be that. You also don't have to be someone who's constantly beating yourself up and a worm. You can say, no, I have a real righteousness that is not my own. It comes from the outside and it's been given to me by God and I can stand with confidence. I don't have to blame shift. I don't have to move my guilt onto someone else. I also don't have to absorb all the guilt and become someone who can't get out of bed in the morning. I can dissolve the guilt because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? What a glory. 
What a resource! Okay, the shoes. Let's put on shoes. Paul says this, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All right, here's what's interesting about this particular verse, this particular passage, this particular idea. He doesn't say, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Did you catch that? He says, put on the readiness provided by the shoes of the gospel of peace. Are you with me on this? Where is it? Where is it? da 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 Having put on the readiness given by the gospel peace. Okay, so this word readiness, we've got to talk about it. It's a Greek word, not going to get into it. Beyond the fact that it means nimble. Think of a mountain goat. You ever seen a mountain goat? They're, y'all, they're amazing. So they have this incredibly firm footing, and yet they're walking on cliff sides. And they know exactly where to place their next foot as they're moving. They're nimble in the midst of danger. That, in my opinion, is what Paul is trying to get across in this particular vision of the shoes of the armor of God. You can have a nimbleness, a sprightness, a lightness to your foot, a joy, a bounciness in your steps. How? How can you get that kind of bounciness? Well, provided by the shoes of the gospel of peace. We all want this, right? Wouldn't you love to have this? Instead of waking up in the morning with dread, worry, despair, depression, wouldn't it be nice to wake up with joy as you enter into the dangerous world that you face every single day of your life? Paul says you can have it. The resource is yours, provided by the gospel of peace. Okay, so let's keep going. It means nimbleness. This nimbleness, this joy, this bounciness to our step comes from the gospel of peace. Now, this peace is between us and God and between person and person, which implies something. And we've got to talk about the implication of this particular pair of shoes. It implies that the gospel itself ends a war. The gospel ends a war. What is that war? The war is between you and God first. It's also between you and other people. But let's talk first about the war between you and God. Have you ever thought of this before? Have you ever embraced this truth? The Bible talks about it all the time. We are at enmity with God. It says that Christ came and died for us so that we can be reconciled to God because that wasn't true before we met Christ. We were actually an enemy of the God of the universe. We were fighting with him actively. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an enemy of God? Jesus gets at it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Insert your particular thing in there for money. What's your thing? Here's a syllogism. Use this. Carry this with you this week. You ready? We either use things and serve God, or we serve things and use God. We either use things and serve God, or we serve things and use God. If we're in the mode of serving things, money might be one of the things, could be just possessions in general, could be a job, could be kids, could be parents, could be whatever, you insert it. When we serve things and we use God, I can promise you, You may be in this boat right now today. You will see God 
as a stumbling block to getting what you really want. I promise you, you will be mad at God. You will. If there is something you have said, I need more or at least as much as God in my life. If I get this thing, then I'm going to finally be happy. And you've said, I'm going to serve that thing or getting that thing. And you said, God, give it to me. God, there's this thing I want really badly, whether it's a career or it's a certain type of lifestyle that can be bought with money. God, if you give it to me, then I'm going to finally be happy. Please give it to me. Come on. You said we could ask anything in your name and you would give it to us. Well, you got to be careful. That is a true statement that Jesus made. But is the thing what you want more than God? You'll be angry with him. Because he will frustrate it time and time again. Because he knows something that we don't always comprehend. He knows that what our hearts really need is him and him alone. All the other things can be taken away. But if we have him, we're happy, we're joyful. He's got to sometimes remove that stuff so that we can actually get to him and be with him. You see this? God will become an enemy. If you put something as ultimate in your life in front of him, he will constantly thwart it. And you will become bitter and angry because God never gave it to you. You always wanted it. You always thought you needed it. And God, here's God saying, you need me. (laughs) And you need me alone. Y'all, the gospel comes in, the shoes of peace, the gospel, the shoes of peace, and begins to break that in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Ah. We need the Lord to work within us to break this down. Here's, here's, here's a verse that I wrote down on it. For while we were God's enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we save through His life? Amen. Jesus breaks down the wall, the barrier, the curtain of hostility between us and God. And we are allowed to enter into the throne room of of God himself and be with him and know him in a way that we never could have known without Jesus Christ himself stepping in. You know, one, one illustration on this until we move to the next part. We went to Disney this summer. Okay? Don't do it. I, I qualify in the middle of the summer. That, that place is a swamp. It's literally built on a swamp. And you feel that swampiness from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back into your hotel bed at night. So we're out all day doing, you know, we had a couple of fast passes, but you're not going to get fast passes for all the good stuff. So you're going to have to wait in line and you're going to be miserable. And the kids wanted to stop at this thing called Disney Springs. You ever heard of that? It's this restaurant bar area that is around the hotels, which is where near our hotel was, and, they, and it lights up after Disney closes. It comes alive. All the stores are open until you know, 3 in the morning. And, and so, obviously, we're headed back to the hotel, and our kids are like, it's only 10 o'clock. we got to do Disney Springs. I wanted to get that. And, and there's this kerfluffle on the tour bus. The kids have to go to Disney Springs because they didn't get the prizes they wanted while we were in the park. Heaven forbid. And Mia's their wise father, says, no. 
I know your heart better than you. And what you really need is not the toy in Disney Springs. What you need is to crawl into your bed. And they're like, Dad, <laughs> they were just bitter at me. They were mad and bitter because they, they just don't want to believe that Daddy knows best. Because they want what's at Disney Springs. They didn't get the little pins. They did little pin exchanges. They didn't get the ones they wanted that day, right? <laughs> Y'all, and this is sometimes what we do with obedience and disobedience with our Heavenly Father. We say, I know I need it and I know I want it, God. Okay? Are you hearing me? And God says, I love you. You can't have that. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us that he brings us back into that. He says, Jesus and me are all you need. And Jesus is going to bring you right to my feet. If if you will come with the lightness of step given to you by the gospel of the shoes of peace, you're going to have a nimble life. You're going to be nimble. You're going to float. It's a really cool equation. He loves you. When you obey Him, God, it's going to feel, when you submit to Him, it's going to feel like you're not really getting what you think you want. But you have to be willing to say, He knows better. And those shoes of the gospel of peace are going to give you a nimbleness about this life. You're going to start to have joy again. That's what the promise is. I don't know about you, but I live with a lot of disappointment and worry because I just sometimes don't believe the truth that God has my best at heart and that I can just submit to him and to his will. I, I feel like I need to take control back. And that's exactly what the garden was. The fall was trying to take control back from God. Jesus has bought the peace that allows us to submit to God. What a joy. What a joy. Okay, we've got to move on. Oh, no, we don't need to move on yet. Because we're mad at each other. We can't forget that part. We're mad at God because he's getting in the way of what we think we need. And the shoes of the gospel of peace are allowing us to submit and obey. But y'all, it happens with people too, right? When somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, I needed to be 73 feet ahead of where I am now. You ever had this? It rises up within your soul and you're like, I am going to do something bad to you. You've had that, right? Somebody cuts you off in line just for the water fountain. And you can have that reaction, right? Or the person in your office gets a little bit ahead. They get the raise. You didn't get the raise. That person's business is doing a little bit better than your business. That, you know, person down the hallway is slightly better at doing your job than you are at doing your job. Y'all, we get mad at each other. I'm sure none of you have experienced this recently, right? Everything's just peachy, peachy between you and all the people in your life. But the Bible is saying this madness, this darkness, this anger can creep between us and other people. And the same thing is true about the shoes of the gospel of peace. We are reconciled not just to God through the gospel. Jesus Christ dying, taking away our sin, giving us righteousness so that we can approach the Father and His throne. We are also reconciled to one another, says the Bible. Because of our reconciliation to God, we are now at peace with one another. And here's what that means. Let me, let me read a passage that explains what that is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer... Here's the key. Here's the key. Ready? Verse 15. And he died for all, that is Jesus Christ, that those who live 
through Him, should no longer live for themselves. Catch it? But for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grand exchange of the gospel. That's the gospel. Right? Paul just explained the gospel. And here, the key thing for me from this particular passage Um, There's lots of key things in there, but he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's what causes enmity between us and other people. We are not living for Christ. We're not, the gospel has not worked its way down into the very sinews of our being. And so we live for ourselves. And so constantly, of course, people are getting in the way of that. My kids get in the way of my agenda hourly. And it's easy for me to get angry and to forget that Christ, by his gospel, has reconciled me to God and given me such peace that I don't need to get my agenda. That I can live what Jesus taught. That to lose my life is to gain it. That to give away myself to the people around me is to find joy, to find the nimbleness from the shoes of the gospel of peace. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? It's hard to put those on. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit for us to be able to strap those shoes on, I'm telling you. But God has given us the resource for peace, not only with himself, but peace with one another. All right, we have to go faster. I spent a little too much time on those shoes, but they're amazing shoes, really. So we're going we're gonna to go real quick through the shield of faith and then maybe return to it a little bit next week. Okay, the shield of faith is another awesome resource that we've been given by God. Basically, it's a surfboard. That's what the Roman shield was. It's massive, right? We sometimes think of, the shield of faith, and it's like this little round buckler that we're holding up. Oh, the sword's coming at me. Boom, I'm going to block it. No, no. Not for the Roman soldier, it wasn't. This thing was like bigger than a massive surfboard and probably double wide surfboard, and they would walk towards the walls of a city that they were sieging. That's what the Roman soldiers would do. And the reason they needed this huge surfboard covering them, and generally speaking, it was covered with leather, and that leather had been soaked in water. Why do you think it had been soaked in water? Anybody? Fire! Yes! There, hence the fiery darts you see in the passage. But it was more than darts. Oh, when you were coming up on those walls, they were throwing fiery tar on top of you. They were, they were throwing anything that could light on fire on top. They'd probably take their shirts off, light them on fire, and throw them down at you. So you had to have this thing that literally covered your entire body. Because some of the things that were coming down were flaming arrows, flaming darts. And Paul's saying, this is the equipment God's given you to. And here's his point. If you are going to take ground, 
whether that ground be pushing back the darkness in Charlottesville through the love that you are sharing with the people around you, whether that's pushing back the darkness in your own life as you begin to grow, as you begin to give up old habits, as you begin to make progress in the fact that you're not lying as much anymore, you're not such a jerk anymore because the gospel of the shoes of peace is at work within you, you are going to encounter fierce resistance. Satan and the demons of darkness, the powers and the principalities of this present darkness, hate it when you take any ground whatsoever. Hate it. We've experienced a lot of frustration and hard things, even with this church plant. If you're going to take any level of ground, if you're going to do anything good, if you are going to do something that's not standing 50 feet back from the front line, but if you decide, I'm going to get on the front line, God, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to fight for my own life. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to fight because I know I have this habit that I've got to give up. I'm going to fight for this community. I'm going to fight for those that are downtrodden in my community. I'm going to fight, fight, fight. If you choose to do that, you must have the shield of faith because you will encounter fierce, burning resistance. And now what does burning in the Bible mean? Fire. Trials and tribulations. That's generally speaking what the Bible uses for fire. It's something that's going to come into your life. It's suffering. Suffering is going to enter your life if you take ground against the darkness. Any, any one foot, suffering is going to come into your life. Now, suffering also comes into our life just in general. You all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Phone call in the middle of the night. The worry that wakes you up in the middle of the night? Darkness is with us all the time. And Paul is saying, God is saying, the shield of faith is your protection. What in the world does that mean? It means that you need faith when the suffering hits. You've got to have it at the ready. This is not something, unlike a lot of the other pieces of this armor, like the shoes, the nimbleness of the shoes of the gospel of peace, you have those with you all the time. You put them on and you want to wear them all the time. The shield of faith, you're going to need at certain times. You're not going to carry it with you. The soldiers did not carry it with them at all times. It was when the suffering hits. When you go into the doctor's office and it's more than just a mole. You need the shield of faith. What is this faith that we're talking about? Well, the Bible defines faith. It says that faith is the assurance of what we do not see. Faith is like a set of eyes. It's a set of eyes, and the Bible talks about this a lot, that see for a moment, even if it's just for an afternoon, behind the veil. Because there is a veil between our world and the world of the spiritual realm, right? But we know, we know from the scriptures that God is at work. And sometimes, you've probably had this happen in your life, the veil is pulled back if even for a moment. And you see the hand of God. And you know that he is at work. And you're deeply strengthened in whatever you're going through. Whatever the suffering is at that current time, when you sense that he is in control, that he is behind it all, that there is an end game to it all, that he is working good Y'all, that is faith to get you through the suffering. You've got to be able to see that he is at work. Now, that comes differently. The Bible talks about it. Sometimes there's visions. Like they'll, one, a character in the Old Testament will see a whole array of angels spread out on the battlefield. Um, I read one recently from First Chronicles. It's, um, what was the name of that king? 
Meshibbeth, I don't know, I can't remember, Sheba something like that. He's king of First Chronicles, chapter 16, and he's, I can't remember the name. He's going up, uh, he's asking the Lord, should we attack? You know, there's these other uh, communities, these countries are coming to destroy Judah, and he's like, Lord, we need some help here. And so the Lord says, here's what the Lord says, go over this next rise, there was a hill kind of near where they were stationed, and he says, just look. And they're like, wait, what? We shouldn't like get extra spears and we're going to need some machine guns and those are going to come down from heaven and we need a rocket mortar or something to take out these guys. And God's like, no, I want you to go to the rise. I want you to walk up the rise and I want you to look. They can't figure it out. And they're like, all right, Lord, we trust you. So they, get, they pack their stuff up and they go up to the rise and they look over the rise. And what do they see? Bodies strewn all throughout the valley. And what they realize is, uh, overnight, God had sent ambushes. I'm not exactly sure what the Hebrew translation of that is. But basically, these two nations that were coming to destroy them had decided overnight to fight each other, and they had completely wiped out one another. And the Lord is like, look. Y'all, that is often what the Bible calls us to. Even the New Testament calls us to just look. Look, open your eyes. And we pray the Holy Spirit would do precisely that in our life. Because sometimes it's not just us. We can't just figure it out with our own mind. We need God to reveal Himself to us. I don't know what you're going through today. You guys might, one of you, some of you in here might be experiencing terrible suffering today. I hope you'll let us know so that we as a church can be praying for you. But my prayer for you, and I I would ask that you make it a prayer for yourself. Lord, give me the eyes of faith. Lord, show me. Let me look. Let me see behind the veil that I might be strengthened in my fight through this suffering, through this trial. It's precisely what happened to Job. And you want to talk about a person who got things ripped out from them? That would be Job in the Bible. And finally, near the end, God says, okay, okay. Job's talked with his friends. Job's talk, 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 talk. They're trying to figure out what all the suffering is from. Life's full of suffering. We can't figure it out. And God says, okay. Chapter 38. He pulls back the veil, if only for a moment. And he says, where were you when I set the boundaries for this earth? Where were you when I made sure the ocean stayed within? There? Where are you when the badger is eating on the rock? Where are you when I feed the bird? It's like the one that's camped out right now in my mailbox at home. We put a note on the mailbox and it says, please put the mail down on the ground in this box that we provided so that you don't disturb the little bird that's in her, made her nest in our mailbox. And at first we were frustrated. We were like, bad idea, bird. <laughs> it's a mailbox. We got to get our mail. And so, because it has a little flap at the top and we opened it up. So Christy took all of the nest and it was well built and took it across the yard, put it in a tree or put it in a bush or whatever. And then three days later, the bird was back making the nest in the mailbox and probably used all of the same equipment. <laughs> so Christy gets, pulls up the nest and takes it all the way back out to the bush or the tree and puts it out there. Two days later, nest is back in the... And so we've said, okay, God is obviously at work here. We're getting out of the way. And now there's like four little eggs in there. And every time I walk out of the house, I peek over and I can see the mom staring right out the front of that 
But it was a reminder this week as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about the eyes of faith. God gave me a vision and he's like, look, I am taking care of this little bird who on the third try you allowed to stay in your mailbox. And I'm feeding that bird and I'm providing for that bird and I'm watching over that bird and I care about that bird. How much more am I watching out for you and caring for you? He said, look, just look at the bird. My kids are loving it, obviously, because we're going to see little babies here hopefully soon. And honestly, I have to admit, the the nest is perfectly placed. Snakes can't climb up. Squirrels can't climb down. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He watches out even for the little sparrows in our front yard. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot speak for everyone in this room today, but I know for myself, Father, that I need your armor. Lord, I am consistently beat down by the darkness in this world. I'm consistently brought to my knees by the darkness even in my own heart. Lord, I am distressed often. I am in despair. Lord, I feel the depression of life. I feel the difficulty all around me, the danger, Lord, and the looming death that I have to face, Lord. There is so much arrayed against us. We need your armor, and I pray that you would provide bountifully. I pray for every person here today, Lord, that they would take the action to put on the armor. Lord, your gospel of peace That Jesus Christ has taken our sin and has given us His righteousness, Lord, is what reconciles us both to you and to one another. I pray that we would wear those shoes every day this week. That you have brought peace and that we no longer have to live for ourselves. We no longer have to be a selfish jerk because you freed us from that by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes, eyes of faith that can see behind the veil, if even for just a minute this week, that our suffering might be put in perspective, that we would have the view that Paul had that these are but light and momentary troubles that we are experiencing, and that soon, very soon, there is a weight of glory waiting for us at your throne. We trust by faith that you will protect us, God. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.